0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope.
1: In the name of Jesus, Amen. Paul writes Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Dear Saints, there is an old quip attributed to various different wits that goes something like this. In the beginning, God created man in his own image, and ever since then, man has returned the favor. (laughs) I think there's some truth to this. We are tempted constantly to recreate God after our own desires, after our own image, after our own selves. We want a God to suit us. This topic came up in ladies' Bible study yesterday morning, and I think it's worthwhile to meditate on because we're tempted to match up God, what we think of God, with our own greatest problem. So whatever our problem is, God will be the one who fixes it. For example, the ancient Jews were oppressed by the Romans, so for them the Messiah would come to bring political freedom, sit on the throne and establish an earthly power. The ancient false god, Baal, taught people that their problem was weakness, and so they worshipped him so that they might have power and strength. And other gods, these ancient pagan gods, promised the same sorts of things. They promised threat, they promised protection to a threatened people, or they promised abundance to the people living right there on the edge of the wilderness. And, and I think we're no different. We identify our problem and then we craft God to meet that problem and be the solution. We're tired and worn out and unsuccessful. So Joel Osteen and a thousand others tell us about a God who will make our dreams come true, who will make every day a Friday, who will give us our best life now. But Osteen is easy. It's, It's more subtle than that. I think that Much of the preaching in the church today assumes that our biggest problem is that our lives don't have meaning. And so the preaching, the preacher gives our lives meaning by saying that God invites us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Or perhaps our problem is understood that we're alienated from one another or from creation or from God. And now it is preached the solution that we enter into a personal relationship with God. But these ideas, the idea that God gives us success or that God gives uh, meaning and purpose to our life or that we have a personal relationship with God, none of these things are taught in the Scripture. In fact, the opposite things are taught in the Bible. Instead of promising us success... Jesus promises us trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, says Jesus. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Take up your cross and follow me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the Christian life. Not a a life of successful overcoming, but a life of suffering, bearing the cross, and persecution. Instead of talking about how the Lord gives meaning to our lives, the Scriptures talk the exact opposite. They talk of humility and service. Jesus says this, So likewise you, when you have done all the things which you were commanded, you say, we are only unprofitable servants. We've only done what is our duty to do. Now, I think here especially we need to be a bit careful because these questions of meaning and purpose do rub right up against the biblical ideas of vocation and hope. We should have a clear sense of our vocation, the the place that the Lord has put us in this life, who our neighbor is and how the Lord would have us serve them. And we should have hope. A certainty, a kind of an unwavering confidence that the Lord has our lives in His hands, that He is for us and not against us, that He loves us, that He protects us, that He forgives us, that He has a place for us in the life to come. But these ideas, vocation and hope, are different than the ideas of meaning and purpose. And you see how. When, we, when we're thinking about what is my meaning and purpose in life, we're thinking about ourselves. We're tempted to look inwards and focus here. But when we think of our vocation, we think of our neighbor. And when we consider hope, we think about God and His promises. There are any number of times uh, you have asked me this question, Pastor, uh, it seems like my life has no meaning and no purpose. Why do I even exist in the world? And the answer that I almost always give is something like this. You exist to be forgiven by Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's the purpose and meaning of your life. Not all the things that you're busy doing, but the things that Jesus has done. See the difference? And then relationship is another one. Uh, You constantly can hear this preached, that we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. As if our biggest problem is loneliness or a sense of alienation or isolation. And the solution is in relationship. But this too is never talked about in the scriptures. The opposite is talked about. The Bible talks about us being united to Christ, being one with Him. He is the head and we are the body. He is the vine and we are the branch. He is the groom and we are the bride. Christ is in us and we are in Christ. You see, the language of relationship always is putting us under the law with its questions. With thinking again about ourselves and how we're doing But the Bible's way of talking about Christ and the church, in fact, does the opposite. It does away with questions. You can, for example, ask this question. How's your relationship with God? Or how's your walk with Jesus? And these questions point us back to ourselves. But what about these questions? How is your unity with Christ? How's your baptism? (laughs) These don't even make sense. And this is because baptism... And the gospel, and the word of God, and the death of Jesus, are there to bring an end to our questions. You see? How was your baptism? Well, it was fine, I guess. (laughs) It was the Lord's work, not mine. It was perfect. And in these things, the Lord does away with our questions. He he brings our questions to an end. Does God really love me? And we consider the cross of Jesus and we know the answer with no doubting and no wondering. Yes, he loves me. Am I saved? Will I go to heaven? We consider our baptism and the promises that the Lord Jesus lavishes on us in his word. And the answer is yes. Doubt is driven up against the Lord's means of grace, against the certainty of his word. And there doubt is crushed. And destroyed. Anyway, this is all that show the danger that that we want to craft a gospel and build a theology to suit our own needs, to answer our own problems and not the real problems. It's, It's a confession in the end that begins with ourselves. But today, Trinity Sunday stands against this, this idolatry. When we stand and confess the creed, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity... We're not describing God or understanding God, but confessing him. We're saying this is what God has taught us about himself, what he's revealed about himself to us in the scriptures, that there is one God, that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God and that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons, that God is eternally three in one. Do we comprehend this? No. Do we understand it? No. But do we believe it and confess it? Yes, because it is what God said. And more than believing and confessing, we rejoice in this truth. For this doctrine of the Holy Trinity is not some sort of theological abstraction. But it sits at the very core of the gospel, of the good news. For example, consider this. If God was only one person, existing in all eternity, how could he be love? Love needs another. Loving yourself is not really love at all. Because love requires sacrifice and humility and service, conversation, putting the other above you and so forth. If God is to be love, He must be more than one person. Do you see that? And this is the glorious truth of our confession, a glorious mystery to, to reflect on, it, it, the eternal and timeless love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before the world was even created, stretching back when there was no time or anything else. And this love And our our meditating on this love becomes even more astonishing when we consider the death of Jesus. If God was only one person, and all there was was God on the one hand and creation on the other, then when creation is full of sin, the only place for the wrath of God to go is on creation itself. There's no other place for it. But because God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... He can now suffer his own wrath, which is exactly what happens on the cross. The Father sends the Son to bear the sin of humanity, to carry on his own shoulders the death of the universe, to be the object of God's own wrath, and all of us, all of this is for us. Now this is something that we cannot comprehend. The everlasting and eternal love of God shows itself to us in the wrath of God on the cross. But it is here, dear Saints, that we see what our real problem is it's our sin. Or or even better, we can say it even more clearly our real problem is God Himself when His holiness becomes wrath because we've broken His law. Our real problem is that we have set our face against the holiness of God. But it's there on the cross that we see who God really is. He is love for you. There God suffers and bleeds, and dies for you. There, God himself becomes the solution to our problem. And he is for you, your Savior, and your Redeemer, your Creator, and Justifier, and Sanctifier. Your God is love, and it is his love on the cross that is your life and your hope. Far from crafting a God for our own needs, we gather here so that God could make us according to His purpose and His meaning. And He has made us saints, forgiven, holy, and loved by Him. He has made us His children, adopted us into His family, and called us to be His own. This is the great joy of being a Christian. (laughs) Not inventing a God that we think we need, but the Lord making Himself the Savior that we do need. And this is our joy. And this is our peace. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given Him a gift that He might be repaid? For, dear saints, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.